welcome back to the island. Jay Sahoda Balalahi back at it for another episode of Baller Island. We got a good one coming your way, so make sure to keep it locked. We're going to talk second round NBA playoffs. Can the Milwaukee Bucks finally get their act together down 0-2 against the Brooklyn Nets? Are the Phoenix Suns for real as they're up 2-0 against the Nuggets? The Sixers and the Hawks are tied up at 1. That series is looking much better than anticipated. And can the Los Angeles Clippers keep up with Donovan Mitchell and the Utah Jazz? We're going to break down all four of those series. We'll also talk a little French Open as Rafael Nadal goes for his fifth straight French Open title. Can the King of Clay get it done? He'll take on Novak Djokovic in the semifinals. And Julio Jones is a Tennessee Titan. The Julio Jones finally got traded from the Atlanta Falcons. We will break down that trade as well. And of course, don't forget to give Baller Island a follow on Instagram and Twitter for more sports news and analysis. Welcome back to Baller Island. Jay Sohoda, Bilal Lahi, back for another episode on the island. A lot to talk about. The NBA playoffs second round are in full swing the French Open is down to the semifinals. We'll talk a bit about that. And Julio Jones has officially been traded to the Tennessee Titans from the Atlanta Falcons. A lot to get to. B, we have quite a bit. Where, should, where are we starting? Man, it's. I think we just got to get get our, our rants out of the way on these stupid bucks. Straight in the hell out of me. I, I mean, I mean, if, if we want to get straight into the box, I mean, we can. I mean, there's, there's a lot more, but I, 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 I can't believe this. And I guess while while we're at it, I mean, for those people who aren't really NBA fans right now, Brooklyn, the two seed taste has been taken on the, the three seeded Milwaukee Bucks in the East. This was supposed to be the the series of honestly, possibly the series of the entire, the entire playoffs. playoffs. Yeah, yeah, the entire playoffs. This was hyped up to be. Just really great basketball after what the Milwaukee Bucks basically pasted the Miami Heat in the first round, swept them. It was the only sweep of the entire first round. The Bucks did it like it was nothing. Brooklyn, you know, we we knew they were going to take care of Boston, but, you know, the Celtics still at least put up somewhat of a fight. And to be quite honest, your Boston Celtics have put up more of a fight in their five-game series than the Bucks have done in these two games. Like, this, this, this series has been so disappointing on such a bad level i can't even explain what the hell is going on here the nets lead the series two to nothing the brooklyn nets won game one by eight points milwaukee got absolutely crushed in game two which was supposed to be their game to respond and tie up the series they lost by 39 points i'll let you go first I mean, let's just hold on. Those, those, justice. They lost by eight in game one. They're the whole second half. And then in game two, they got to a point where it was a 50 point yep. game at one point. 50 How points. You, you have to try to lose to, by 50. Like, you, that, how does that, how, that, that just boggles my mind. I can't even believe that. But, and this is, mind you, without James Harden, too. Yeah, that it just makes it even worse, honestly. And the, and the more we keep diving into some of these stats, it just it literally just makes those first two games even worse. But but go on. So here's what I know is in game one, first half, you know, Milwaukee hung, and and the reason I thought they hung was because 
they were beating him up on inside. I, I said last week that Brook Lopez is the key to this series. And he he was making me look great the first half. Him yep. and Giannis, they were attacking the basket and doing that. And then it, it looked really similar to game one of their Miami series where they shot just brutally from the three-point line. And yet they kept doing it. They shot, I think, six for 30 from three-point line, and they kept going back to it. When they had a clear mismatch in the paint, I think they outscored them like 72 to – they outscored 48. them like 25. Yeah, there you go. 24-point difference inside. And they yep. just kept jacking up three. So, to me, they – and that's right when Harden left the game. This is a game one on the road. Perfect opportunity. You couldn't have anything set up more perfect for you to steal game one on the road. And then just kept jacking up threes, kept jacking up threes. Giannis, yo, there's a reason they're giving you 15 feet to shoot the three. They want you to shoot the three. Every time you say, yo, look at my jump shot, I've improved my jump shot, they're smiling ear to ear. Then, not even the fact that you have Boyd Griffin out hustling you, getting put back dunks, diving on the floor. This is supposed to be the Bucks that, you know, is Past his prime Blake defense. Like, like this ain't... Outworking them. This is a P.J. Tucker team, a Drew Holiday team, a Giannis team, and they're getting outworked by Blake Griffin. I don't care if, if Brooklyn makes shots to beat you because that's, that's you know, there's nothing you can do about that. But to get out-hustled by 35-year-old Blake Griffin, that's unacceptable. Yup, this ain't this ain't 2010 Blake Griffin, man. This ain't LA Clipper Blake Griffin. This is this is way past his prime, Blake Griffin. It's and and this guy's dunking like he was in the in the 2009 dunk off or whenever the heck it was in the early 2000s. It's I I don't even know what to say. I mean, yeah, you you hit on it. They were they were dominant in the paint. You're 72 to 48, and in game two, 52 to 38. They're absolutely dominating in the paint. They have the size, exactly like you said. They have the athleticism and the size. Giannis, Holiday, Tucker, Middleton, Lopez. like they, they are built to win in the paint, and they're doing that. And exactly like you said, 6 for 30 from deep in Game 1, and then 8 for 27 in Game 2. Not very good. Just three less attempts, and then they made two more. Really about the exact... They basically shot from three the exact same in both games. I... I don't know what the hell to say. Like, you should not be losing by double-digit points in the playoffs if you're if you're trying to win a championship, period. But to be down by 50, 50 points in a playoff game, I I honestly I I am just disappointed in myself for even believing in the Milwaukee Bucks yeah, two yeah. weeks ago. I mean, I can't I can't believe that this is how obviously. You know, they got two home games. They can turn it around. And I, I, do I think they can do that? I'm done believing in them. <laughs> I mean, if, they, if we come back here next week and the series is tied or, or down 3-2, whatever the hell it is, if, it's, if the series is 3-2 at best, I'm sitting here saying, all right, thank God we have a series now. But if it's 3-1 or if, if they, this series could be over by the time we, we, we hop on this next week. Like, who the heck knows? But since since we're going in this direction, and he's going to talk about the Milwaukee Bucks, you mentioned your X Factor, Brooke Lopez, who was again decent, got off to a great start in game one. My X Factor was Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton yeah. is 13 for 43 for the series. 13 for 43 Unreal. in the series. And, and 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 mind you, he hit like six shots in a row at one point that were just like completely garbage time. So if you take those meaningless six shots out, it's it's brutal. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what to say, honestly, about, about, about Milwaukee. I don't know what they got to do to do better. It's, they just they, they go out there and they're getting literally just 
they're Brooklyn just mopping the floor with them, really. I mean, they, there's all this, you know, fear the deer stuff uh, about, about Milwaukee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody's fearing the goddamn deer right now, man. They look they, like a deer in headlights. In the headlight. That's, that's exactly that's exactly where we're on the same page with that, man. Good lord, like it's oh my god, like I don't I I don't know what to say, man. The, I haven't. I, all I gotta say is, will the real Milwaukee Bucks? show up maybe they left them in milwaukee for for games one and two so maybe they'll actually show up tonight for game three because what i saw in games one and two were the milwaukee ducks not the milwaukee bucks so i don't know what the heck's going on here but this and again there's a there's a bunch of other stuff actually you know what you finish i got some other stuff to get off my chest with this yeah no I, i just wanted to finish off by saying it's just even more embarrassing you already mentioned it without james harden James Harden lasted literally 15 seconds in this entire series. The minute that Harden went out, we were like, oh my God, this is like, this is prime opportunity for Milwaukee to come here and, and steal game one. And they let that get past them. And then you got a chance to, to, to tie up the series going back home to Milwaukee. And then they get their butts completely kicked in game two. I don't know what I got to say. All I have to say is this. We play as I said this about the LA Clippers a few weeks back when they were down 0-2. And they came back and won the series. So for the love of God, Milwaukee, stand up, man. Giannis, let's go. Get your butt in the building. Get going. Defeat the Brooklyn Nets, man. Same thing that I said about the Clippers a few weeks ago. I don't care what you got to do. Do whatever you got to do to to get back into the series, man. Oh, hold on. This is this is really bad because I'm looking at it. I'm like thinking I've never believed in the Bucks since they've been good, right? Every single year, it's it's like the same story. And every single year, people fall for the trap. And I was I was always never falling for the trap. I'm like, always had my reasons. And for some reason, this year I fell. But then I I I fell for the trap immediately after game one. I'm like, I'm an idiot. I can't. My rules. I had my rules all set, and Milwaukee didn't meet any of my rules. It was one. I never thought Chris Middleton was the second best player on a championship team. He's proven yeah. me right. 0 for 8, he started off in game two. Yeah. Just brutal, right? Then I thought, you know, maybe the Drew Holiday impact. You know, he, neither of them are the, the number two best guy on a championship team. Together, they're as good as the number two guy on a championship team. Drew Holiday hasn't been all that great either. And then you add in the fact that, you know, they're they're getting beat like crazy on the other end. Nothing you can do against Kyrie and KD. That I, I'll, then you have. They're dudes that have never won. Like Giannis has never won anything in his life, right? He gets he gets bounced by the Raptors, then gets embarrassed last year by Miami. Same thing with Chris Middleton. They have the same coach, so no culture change. We really thought a dude Drew Holiday, who has never won anything in New Orleans, anyways. Why why would he bring a winning culture to? He hasn't won anything either. So for us to pick against three unproven guys against two dudes who have already won championships. That was just foolish on us. Budenhoser is one dude who should have been gone like three years ago he should have been gone. They've had the best record in the league every single year pretty much. Number one seed in the East. Number one seed in the East. They've literally had that same thing. And Budenhoser doesn't play his guys. Remember in in the Raptors years, he was playing Giannis 30 minutes a game. This is the playoffs. You don't play your best players 30 minutes a game. These guys, Tyron Lue, for example, when it was it was crunch time, he's playing Kawhi Leonard 43. That's how it's supposed to be. This is the playoffs. You're not saving them for anything else. Then, you know, like, 
We're just going to keep chucking threes. That's who we are. doesn't matter if that's who you are. You got to shift it on a game-to-game basis, right? The, see how the games roll. I can't believe he doesn't make any adjustments. This is to be gone the day after they lose 4-0 if it happens. And then the last thing I want to point out is that there's something going on defensively. So in the Boston series, Boston switches everything, right? So there's a lot. Every single play was almost like Tristan Thompson or Evan Fournier getting ISOed by one of the big three. And we're like, you know what? That it's You can't expect those guys to stay in front of the three best isolation players ever. So that's that. Then in this series, these dudes fighting over the screens. Now, here's the thing. Now, when you're fighting over the screens, all five dudes are touching the ball, right? An isolation offense is so much harder or so much easier to defend than all five dudes touching the ball. Every now Everybody's rolling off screens and everybody's in rhythm. That's why you see as soon as they start coming back, it'll be Joe Harris hitting a shot or Landry Shammy hitting a shot, Blake Griffin hitting a shot. So much harder to defend this way. So I'm thinking they might have to just switch everything. They got the personnel. They have five guys that can switch pretty much everywhere. There's one less isolation player for them now in, in Brooklyn. I think you might just have to switch everything at this point. Yeah, no, nah, you you got to do something. And if it is switching everything, do it. Because exactly like you said, that's what the that's what the playoffs are all about, is making adjustments. And Mike Budenholzer, for some reason, just never makes good adjustments. And again, gone, and exa- oh, he's definitely gone. And we were saying this weeks ago that if the Bucks don't at the bare minimum make the NBA finals, he's gone. Like, you got to do something like that. I'm glad Portland finally got rid of Terry Stotts, and they're looking for a new head coach because they are another team that's had just consistent disappointment in the playoffs. Milwaukee is really on that track unless they figure out a way to turn this thing around because Katie and Kyrie are just, they're just laughing at them at this point. It's not even a series, but game three goes Thursday night, 7.30. I mean, this is it. The The Buck season is pretty much on the line, in, in my opinion, and I think we can both agree to that, so... Well, well, we will see what happens there. But I, I, I agree. I want to see what Budenholzer does, what adjustments he comes out with. And honestly, at this point, I would change every goddamn thing. Like I don't, I don't care, man. Brooklyn is is are doing everything. Like they're they're getting away with with crime is what they're doing. Like Milwaukee is just letting them do whatever they want to do, wherever they want to do it. Milwaukee, they got to get their defense together, man. I'm. I mean, I, I can't even say that, like, I'm looking forward to what happens because, like, I'm almost scared to see what happens because I want and Brooklyn. At, at the they they not only got beat by 50, but they, they praised these guys after the game. They're like, oh, it's such an amazing shooter, fadeaway shooter, Kevin Durant. And it's like, bro, you just got your ass handed to you. You saw the way uh, the TNT crew was laughing about that. They're done, man. If you have that mindset after a beatdown like that, you're going into game three praising these dudes, hey, yep. I got no hope. Yeah, no, facts. But we'll we'll see what happens there. Nets up 2-0. Do the Milwaukee Bucks stand any shots? We'll find out Thursday night. As for the other Eastern Conference series, the Philadelphia 76ers, the top seed, lost game one to Atlanta, which I think was quite a surprise to all of us, but they bounced back in game two. My biggest takeaway so far in this series is the fact that I don't think either of us even thought Joel Embiid was going to play in either of these games. And yet he has played in both games. But more importantly, the guy has made a significant impact dropping 36 and 40 in both games one and two. 
I'm really impressed. And then Tobias Harris and Seth Curry have been really great in the first two games. Shake Milton had a great job or did a great wow. job in yeah. game two off the bench with 14. But this series is is a little interesting. What are what are some of your takeaways in this series so far? Well, there's a lot for me. I mean, game one, I was really, really disappointed in Doc because I thought he was just overcomplicating things. Yep. He was trying to put Danny Green on, on Trey Young. Trey Young, Trey yeah. Young lit him up in the first half at like 25-7 and seven in the first half. And it's just like not even that. The pace was him. He was just controlling everything. I'm like, yo, just – it's not that hard. Put your best defender on the best player on – right? So – game at the end though the Hawks right they they didn't the pressure kind of got to them at the end they were up 20 and then you know they got real sketchy with it and, and Bogdanovich hit some big shots at the end and then game two we finally see the adjustment this guy puts Ben Simmons on him for most of the game he puts Thibel on him for most of the game and uh, he struggled he didn't shoot the ball well the other dudes Herder and uh, Bogdanovich had as well yeah, but that's that's the uh, adjustment that needed to be made. I'm surprised he didn't go with it out the gates, and uh, I'm interested to see uh, if Embiid is gonna hold up because he he not just playing on the meniscus, he's balling out on the meniscus. And for them to waste his forty piece in game one, I was kind of scared for them. Yeah, no facts. That's what I was saying too. I'm like, this guy is out there balling on a torn meniscus, man. That's that, that is something that, that you should not be moving, that, or at least you're not expected to move very well on an injury like that. And yet Embiid's out here dropping 30-plus is literally incredible. And then obviously the, the big news out of Atlanta is that DeAndre Hunter is now out for the rest of the series. I don't know how much of an impact that that'll make, but I, I totally agree with you. I don't know why Ben Simmons wasn't on Trey Young from the start. But, I mean, now they did it, and the series is tied. So, at least they got something out of that in that regard. But, as for Ben Simmons is doing his job on the defensive end, but I kind of would expect a little bit more out of him on the offensive side. I think he only had, like, four yeah, yeah four points in game two. And, you know, you're supposed to be one of the best players on this team. I get that. You're more of a defensive guy. But I would expect a little bit more out of him. Trey Young has been phenomenal. And even what he did in game two, being shut down by Thibault and Simmons was still fairly impressive. Herter and Bogdanovich, honestly, I've gained a new appreciation for some of those young dudes. They can really shoot that dang thing. They are really, really good. And then same thing, Clint Capella and John Collins were all in double digits as well. I think this series is, honestly, it's a more of an entertaining series than I thought. But I, I'm going to stick with my pick of Sixers and Six. I think Atlanta will get one more, but... I think the Sixers, especially if Embiid keeps this up, I think the Sixers will be fine. You know what? I'm actually going to go the other way. At 1-1 right now, I think I think the Hawks are going to win this series. And I'll tell you why. Game two, right? The Sixers came out blazing. Yep. Blazing. They were up 20 in a blink of an eye. And the fight that, that Atlanta showed with their best player being neutralized really showed me something, right? And mm-hmm. then it wasn't – this game was close until – all of a sudden, Shake Milton, who hasn't played all series, comes on and pops off fourth quarter. That was the difference. But to me, Embiid is not the question here. If you're dropping 40 points in a game and you're losing the game, this isn't your series. He can drop 40. He's going to get his. Nobody on that team can stop him. The only difference is if he gets healthy, I mean, if he gets hurt or further injures his meniscus, then, then it's a wrap even quicker. But I think Atlanta wins this series mainly because 
Danny Green on the wing. Um, Seth Curry, who's, you know, any of those guys, they can't. I, I think Atlanta at the guards in the wing spot, they got too much firepower, too many scores. Embiid can outscore them, outscore their center by 30, and Atlanta will outscore their backcourt by 40, and that will be the difference. Yeah, I can see that, honestly. Like, the Hawks, I was so impressed what they did in game one. I did not expect that at all. And I, I totally get your point, is they have a lot of scores because not only do you have to control Trey Young, but then, like you mentioned, Bogdanovich and Herter are shooting the way that they are and you got Clint Capella in the paint and then John Collins out there too and got Lou Will coming off the bench. This this is definitely a much better team than I think a lot of us expected. I know I the Hawks were the one team in the East that I hardly knew anything about coming into the playoffs, and they have d- exceeded my expectations by a mile with what they're doing. So if I'm being honest, I, I wouldn't be surprised. After what I saw in Game 1, I was like, the Hawks have a real shot at, at taking the Sixers down. I wouldn't be surprised at all, but I mean... The one we'll... thing I would be worried about, though, is their, their inexperience, and you saw it in the beginning yep. of Game 1. Definitely. That's the one thing I'm worried about. I know Trey ain't scared of the moment. He lo- like he played in MSG, and now he's playing in Philly, the, possibly the two hardest places to play in. He, these guys aren't scared of the moment, but the inexperience definitely might play a factor. Yeah, no, it definitely can. It's not just Trey Young. We know Trey Young has, yeah, he he has owned the moment. But I think the the rest of that team, you know, they are fairly inexperienced to your point. And I think, you know, that definitely could show a factor. But game three will go Friday night at 7.30 in the ATL. As for the Western Conference, the top four seeds advanced. The Jazz are taking on the Clippers, one nothing Utah, and then Phoenix is up 2-0 on the Denver Nuggets, the Phoenix Suns. I'll start there. The Suns look terrific in what they're doing right now. They blew out the Nuggets last night by 25 points. Nikola Jokic, the MVP. Just want to shout Jokic out on an incredible year winning MVP. Very well deserved for sure. 24 points in game two. And then here the big thing was Aaron Gordon, Campazzo, Austin Rivers, the three of them combined for only 15 points in game two. And while the Phoenix Suns, every single starter was in double digits in terms of points. So those are the things that I kind of took away from that. Phoenix just, Phoenix just looks in control, man. Like they, they're like, they did exactly what I would have hoped they would have done because sometimes a team that's fairly inexperienced and you you pull off the upset that they did against LeBron James and the LA Lakers. Now you're moving on. You're like, oh my God, we just we just beat the defending champions. We could do anything. Sometimes those young teams tend to fold. That's not what the Phoenix Suns did. They came in. They're like, we got home court. And who cares if we're playing the MVP in, in Nikola Jokic? The Suns have looked incredible. They don't. They look like a well-oiled machine that just does not look like it's going to be stopped anytime soon. And I mean, Denver is great. I think this is the one thing I'll say about Denver. This is the and we all knew this coming into the playoffs. This is the moment that I'd say where they're going to miss Jamal Murray the most. Oh, one hundred and ten percent. But Chris Paul's on a mission right now. In Game One, completely took over that fourth quarter. Like shoulder looks great. He ain't even shooting the ball until he needs to shoot the ball. And then when he does, it's just like a wrap. Done. Did the same thing in game two. Had 15 assists and zero turnovers. What's the stat? He has 28 assists through two games or 26 or something like that. Zero turnovers or one turnover. 26 to one assist to turnover ratio in this series. 
He's got so much control over this series. It's ridiculous. And then, you know, he's got his mid-range game unlocked. Now, when he gets around the screen, it's Mikel Bridges, Jay Crowder, who's been really big yeah, in this series. Yeah, really great. And then, or a lob threat to DeAndre Ayton. And then Booker on the other, like, dude, he's got so many options. Cameron Payne still doing his thing off the bench. Yep. It's like, they, they got too much. And then Michael Porter Jr. got banged up last game. He hurt his back, which is pretty scary if I'm a Nuggets fan because, you know, his history yeah. is back stuff. And to me, at the beginning of the series, I said Phoenix was going to win this series. And a part of me said it wasn't going to be close. And a part of me said it, Denver gets in these really weird seven-game series. But I just thought they got too much wing talent. You know, Jay Crowder, Mikel Bridges, Cam Johnson, all three of them going to beat up Michael Porter Jr. And then there's nobody else that, that can carry the load offensively. Like, it, it's just Jokic. Michael Porter Jr. is streaky. If they lock him up, then, you know, I'm good with letting my the game go in Aaron Gordon's hands or Austin Rivers' hands. It's They got too much for, for Denver. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that. And Will Barton just came back too, so it's going to take him some time to kind of get back into things. But that's what I love. Look, he did look good. No, he did. He was, he was good off the bench. But obviously when you, like you said, Porter's a little banged up too, you know, it's – you know, Denver, I just don't think is in great shape in this series, yeah. at least right now. I picked the Suns in six. I still think that is a pretty high possibility. I think Denver's still good enough to get at least two games. But at this rate, the way that this is going, I think Suns are probably going to end up winning in five. The way then Denver's looking, I feel like they'll get one at home. Jokic will probably drop like 35 yeah. or something, and they'll get that one win. But like I said, Phoenix just looks so, so good. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. And to the point that you mentioned about CP3, this is the whole reason why I'm I'm rooting for Phoenix. And I've been rooting for Phoenix since the beginning of the playoffs is because Chris Paul, obviously, he's, he's one of my favorite players, but he's probably one of the most underrated stars or future Hall of Famers that is still in the NBA that not a lot of people talk about. They're like, oh, Steph's not here. LeBron's not here. You know, who else is there, right? Left, oh yeah, Kawhi's there with the Clippers, but Chris Paul's there, man. Chris Paul has this been doing this. Time, man. He's been this doing this. Time. Exactly. He's been doing this for, what is this, year 17, year 18? The guy's been doing this forever, and he has not won a chip. I do not want Chris Paul to be the next Charles Barkley. I don't want him to be the next Phillip Rivers. I don't want, no, 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 no. Chris Paul deserves a championship. Not only what he does on the court, but for what he's done off the court with the whole NBA and the and the players' association leading all that stuff has been just excellent. What he's done off the off the court as well, I'm just I'm a big CP3 guy, and I love seeing what he's doing right now. And I pray to God that 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 this is the year for Phoenix because they look really really good. And it's not Chris Paul is just like a small portion of it. That's how good they are. They're up 2-0. And I feel like that series could be over fairly quickly. As for the last series, the Utah Jazz and the LA Clippers, the Clippers ended up taking down the Mavericks in seven games. The Jazz won game one. It was a good one. Came down to the final possession. And the, uh, the current defensive player of the year, Rudy Gobert, came up with a huge clutch play in the dying seconds to win that game by three. So... I think we both had the Clippers winning this series. I still think this could go either way, but I will say about this, the funny part about the LA Clippers, they come out, 
They won their series against Dallas. You're like, all right, the Clippers are back, right? Kawhi's doing his thing. They're getting what they're getting out of Paul George. It's going pretty good. And the one problem that they had against the Mavericks was, well, what the heck are we doing about Luka Doncic? He's kicking our ass. You guys dropping 40 a game. But they beat Dallas. Like, all right, all right, we're good. They move on. Now they're playing Utah. And game one's the exact same thing. Except instead of Luka, it's Donovan Mitchell. 45 points. The Clippers, man, here we go again. Here we go again. You tried to stop Luka Doncic. You barely squeezed it out. Now you got to stop Donovan Mitchell. I can't wait to see what they do to stop him because game one, he was unstoppable. And D-Wade coaching him up on the sidelines. Utah's got a, a real cool playoff atmosphere, but I wanted to talk a little about, about that previous series because Kawhi was on a mission, right? 45 or something in the game six and then game yep. seven. You know, his scoring was – I think he still had 28 or something, but it wasn't until the fourth quarter where he's like, you know what, I'm checking Luka. And that changed the game. Luka had like 30 in the first half, and then he kind of slowed down. But And Porzingis, you know, might have taken that playoff P crown for a second until game one. Uh, he's back, back at it again. What did he shoot, two for 13? This is and, – and Kawhi, mind you, didn't have a good game as well in game one. And Donovan Mitchell goes off. So that's leading me to think that the Clippers still going to win this series. The best player dropped 45. And then the the other team's two best players had mediocre to poor games. So if I'm a Clippers fan, I'm like, you know what? We're good. And it was still a close game. Rudy Gobert made a great defensive play at the end. And uh, we're seeing a little bit more Pat Bev in this series. Luke Kennard played some minutes. Luke Kennard played well. You know, he played well the last few games. I think Kawhi takes over this series again. But how about this stat? Donovan Mitchell, minimum 25 playoff games. Can you believe he's already played in 25 playoff games? As That's the pretty third incredible. highest points per game average among active dudes. Number one is KD. Number two is LeBron. Three is Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell averages 28 a game for the playoff. That's just incredible. Honestly, Unreal. it's... it's real. That's he fantastic. Has, he tied or he passed Carl Malone for 40 point playoff games in wow. jazz history. That's ridiculous already. He's a he's a feature stud. I think Kawhi's gonna have to check him. And now one weird interesting thing. Rudy Gobert's won three defensive player of the years now. And by the way, they're doing this without Mike Conley, who's a big part of Rudy Gobert's success offensively. I forgot about that. That's a really great point. Um he's gonna miss today. He should be back by the time they move on to the road. But Rudy Gobert, three defensive player of the years. Does he get into the Hall of Fame now? That's a that's a discussion for another episode, I think. But I, I don't know about Hall of Fame for Rudy three Gobert just yet. Out. But I'll tell you this though, if Utah makes a run and they go to the to the finals this year, that could make that discussion and, and he plays a big part too. And it's not just Donovan Mitchell. I'd say that could make that discussion real interesting going into the offseason. But, it, I mean, Rudy Gobert is a really great player. And this whole Utah Jazz team is extremely underrated. And I know they're the one one seed and everyone's like, oh, yeah, Utah, Utah. But they don't have a lot of experience and they're not that great. And everyone's still banking on one of the L.A. teams to make it. But Bogdanovich was great with 18. Jordan Clarkson was fantastic off the bench with 18. Sixth man of the year. The Utah Jazz are just a great team. And I think overall, this series, I think what you said is true. I think 
game one was still close. I'm not too scared if I'm a Clippers fan down one nothing. Although I do feel like they blew that game because Jazz were shooting off in the first half and they had like a 15 point lead or something. Yeah, they did, and they're and they're gonna need a little more help offensively, right? Kawhi and, and PG were both in double digits, but that was it. The only other Clipper to hit double digits was Zubots off the bench. So that's they're gonna need a little more than that to try and help them get a get a little further. But I still think this series could go six, seven games. It's I think it's fairly even. I think the, the Clippers are gonna do what they do, but I I agree with you. I think Kawhi needs to check Donovan Mitchell because that's the only way I think they're gonna get it done. Because Luca had trouble in Game Seven once Kawhi took over and started defending him. I think that's what got, they got to do with Donovan Mitchell because he is he's a he is a bad man, Donovan Mitchell. This guy is just exceptionally fun to watch, and all I can say is I'm so glad he's healthy. Knock on wood that he remains healthy, but it's just great to see because it would have been an absolute shame if he wasn't that Utah got all this way just to have their star player. So the fact that they got Donovan Mitchell and he's balling the way that he is, it's really great to see in the, in that in that regard. But um, there we're asking so much from Kawhi Leonard, dude. We're asking him to. Like, Drop forty a game and will his team to to win and guard the other team's best player. No other superstar gets that type of pressure. No, it's and it's not. And and the Clippers have a really great team that Kawhi Leonard shouldn't have that pressure on him. But what I did see in Game Six and Game Seven of that Mavericks series was the Kawhi Leonard from the Raptors in terms of the fact that Kawhi Leonard took over some of those playoff games late, and he's like, just give me the ball. And and this is this is my time now. That's what he did with, with the Clippers. But again, you got more help on that Raptors team, right? On this Clippers team, I don't really know who they go to outside of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Reggie Jackson has an on and off day. They're going to need a lot more from Patrick Beverly if he's on the floor. The Clippers need more offensively. That's the only thing that I will say in that regard for the Clippers, because you're right. I think Kawhi Leonard, you know, there's way too much, you know, maybe get something a little more out of Nick Batu, maybe get a little more out of Marcus Morris. Like, who's it going to be? Maybe it's Trey Mann. Who, hey, Rondo. Or out of Paul George. That dude's got to, come on. He's yeah, they need, they need, Paul George, Paul George needs to be the one to have like a 35-40 piece, or I agree with that. Instead of Kawhi, because you know what's funny? We were just having this conversation the other day of how Paul George, you know, when, when they acquired him, he was that guy. That's why Kawhi Leonard wanted to play with him in the first place. Paul George was that guy. He's and coming since, off, uh, he finished third in the MVP in OKC. I'm, I'm kind of shocked by that, to be honest. I he had didn't that think... great year. He was amazing that one year. And that, that's what you're saying. Kawhi wanted to play with this team. Yeah, and yeah, I I totally agree with you. Yeah, Paul George definitely needs to do more, and I think you know you and I were both saying before that you know Paul George really hasn't been like the star since Indiana. So I I definitely agree with that. It'll be very interesting to see if he can get going. And Kawhi Leonard, the pressure isn't all on Kawhi Leonard, but I'm I'm excited for that series. I think that is going to be a series that goes all the way down to to, to Game Six or Seven, but. Um, I, I can't wait for that. Do you still have the Clippers in this series? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, I got I got the Clippers in six in the in this one. And I think it could go to seven, but I'm gonna stick with Clippers in six for now. But we'll see what happens for the remainder of the of the NBA playoffs. I really excited to see what happens. Will the Bucks finally get their shit together? Can't wait. <laughs> Very interesting to see with that. 
The Hawks Sixers series looks great. Do the Nuggets stand any shot against the Suns? And then the Jazz and Clippers, I think, might be the most entertaining out of these four. But before we get to the French Open, we had some NFL news, a huge trade. Julio Jones requested a trade from the Atlanta Falcons a few weeks back. That's when all the rumors came about where Julio going to go. And he has been traded to the Tennessee Titans for a 2022 second rounder and a 2023 fourth rounder. The Falcons also traded away a 2023 sixth rounder. Thoughts on Julio to Tennessee? I'm a big Julio fan. And um, to me, though, it doesn't really change anything. I still think it's between them and Indy in the, at the top of their division. I think they, that might push them over the edge since they have too much firepower. But now you have, you know, a trio of A.J. Brown, Elijah Moore, who they just drafted, Julio Jones, and then Derrick Henry in the backfield. And their offense was already good. Weren't they one of the best offenses in the league last year? To me, it, it it doesn't fill the hole on the defensive side, and that's the question that I have with that team. Yeah, no, that's, that's a fair point. And, and to your point on that, I don't think it changes. It doesn't drastically change anything. I think the right um, thing to say is that because I know a lot of people are, are saying now, oh, are the Titans Super Bowl contenders now? They got Julio and Derek Henry, whatever. I wouldn't They're classify stop someone. I, exactly. I wouldn't classify that yet. I still think their defense is kind of suspect. And the biggest thing is, the quarterback position with Ryan Tannehill. I know Ryan Tannehill has been very good since he's been the Tennessee Titans quarterback since he got traded there. Having said that, it's ironic that one day before this trade occurred, Julio Jones goes and says, I want to play with a big arm quarterback. So you're thinking, all right, you know, Ben Roethlisberger, you know, Josh Allen, you know, Patrick Mahomes, you know, some of these bigger armed quarterbacks. And then you see him get traded to Tennessee and you're like, Tannehill? Tannehill's who you classify as a big arm quarterback? It's a... I, I don't quite know about that. So I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on Ryan Tannehill because you got no excuses. You got two of the best wide receivers and you got the best wide receiver in football for the past generation. And then you got AJ Brown, who's one of the best up and coming wide receivers as well when he's healthy. So the pressure's on you now. You got all the pieces. You got a really good offensive line. You got a really good receiving corp and you got the best running back in all the football behind you. Pressure's on Ryan Tannehill to show up, but I agree with you. I don't think much changes in that division. I still really, really like the Indianapolis Colts. Obviously, a lot relies on how Carson Wentz does this year, but I think aside from that, the Colts look really good, really complete. I don't think anything really changes, but Tennessee's offense, sure, on paper, looks scary as hell. I mean, you got, I mean, for God's sakes, you got Julio Jones and Derrick Henry on your offense. That is, fa- that is fantasy football type stuff right there. That's like saying, like, man... I drafted Derrick Henry in the first round, Julio Jones in the second round of my fantasy. I'm like, wow, you got a really great team. Now, that's a legitimate team right now, but I guess it, it kind of balances out because then, they got Tannehill at quarterback. That's what I'm trying to say. You said it perfectly. Very good. At best, he's very good. He he. Let's not forget, he's a dude that got moved on from the Dolphins in his career team to revive from the dead, but that's just because of the situation he's in. If you're trying to win a Super Bowl, the only time you can have anything other than a top five, if you don't have a top five quarterback in the league, you're probably not winning the Super Bowl unless you have the best defense in the league. And they got not even that. Not even that. I think we're even past that. What do you mean? 
Oh, I guess no. This season, actually, no. Never mind. You got a good point. Actually, no. after this season, that's a good point. Tampa Bay's defense completely shut down Kansas City. Never mind. You need a great defense. But that's exactly what I'm saying too. Tennessee doesn't really have a great defense. No, no, no. I'm saying you can only win a Super Bowl if one, you have a top quarterback in the league. Yep. Or if you don't have a top quarterback in the league, you got to have an amazing defense. And they got yep. they check they don't check either of those boxes. Yep, correct. And honestly, in fact, I think you got to say you need both. You to need be both. Honest. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, you need, you need both. one of the two. One of the two, you're a contender. Yeah, because I'm comparing the last two Super Bowls, and I'm saying the the Niners and the Bucks both had very, very, very good defenses. The difference was Tampa Bay had Tom Brady, the 49ers had Jimmy Garoppolo, and I think that was the difference. In that regard, obviously, the Bucks had the better offensive line as well. The Niners' offensive line was extremely injury-prone at that moment in time, and three of those guys ended up retiring after that season on that O-line. But aside from the point, you know, I agree. You need a, a really great quarterback, and you need a really good defense to try and stop that. And I don't know if Tennessee has that, which is why a lot of the pressure is now going on Tannehill in this defense. And the last thing that I'll say about this trade, which I find very interesting, is Atlanta's new head coach, Arthur Smith, was the Tennessee offensive coordinator. So I find it extremely interesting. That must suck for him that you take over Atlanta and you're like, man, I get to I get to coach Matt Ryan with Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones. Kyle and Pitch. then yeah, and then you go, yeah, you go in and get Kyle Pitts. You're like, wow, I got a really good offense. And now you're trading away Julio Jones to your former team where he gets to be with A.J. Brown and Derrick Henry. So that's got to be a really interesting uh, scenario and situation there to leave the team and then trade Julio to your former team as an offensive guy, I think is interesting. But, I mean, we have all offseason to talk about that. I don't think the Titans are Super Bowl contenders, at least as of yet. They got to show it. But I think that was definitely a great piece added to a good team. And I think the Titans are a good team. I don't know about great. Wins, how many wins do you think it puts them ahead of last year? I still, I'm still thinking around the same. I mean, when the schedule came out, I said around – 11 and 6, 10 and 7. I don't think anything past that. And I st- and I still think that. And again, because I don't know anything about Tennessee's defense. So that's why I can't say that. I said, okay, how many games can Ryan Tannehill win you? Derrick Henry can win a few games by himself, no doubt. Julio Jones can probably win you a game or two. I mean, no, he's a little I, I past... So. They're going to be a, a matchup nightmare. You can't double Julio. You can't double A.J. Brown. And then you oh, yeah. leave the box wide open. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Absolute matchup nightmare. I mean, even though I was about to say, finishing my thought, I was about to say Julio Jones is a little past his prime now, but no joke. I mean, when you're preparing and you're trying to plan to play the Tennessee Titans offense and you have to deal with Julio Jones mm-hmm. and Derrick Henry, no question. You're like, I don't care if Julio Jones is past his prime. He's Julio Jones. We got to figure out a way to game plan him. And then we got to find a way to game plan for Derrick Henry. Because if you don't game plan for one of them, one of them's going to beat your ass. So I, I totally agree with that. But I mean, it it will be interesting to see how that transpires. It's definitely an added element in the AFC, but we got all offseason to talk about that. The last thing we'll talk about here, the French Open is wrapping up this weekend. And of course, nothing new here. Rafael Nadal is yet in another semi-final appearance and will take on Novak Djokovic in the classic matchup. You, you've been watching a lot more of the French Open than I have, but I think we all know this matchup is just is an absolute classic. But if you want to talk a little bit more about that other matchup, because I don't know about either of those two guys, go right ahead. Oh, man. Titsy Passons and Varev is, is uh, the two up-and-comers. They're on the other side. I think either of those two have a real shot at winning this thing. 
Um, a lot of people pick Pass as a dark horse to win the whole thing, and a lot of people pick Zavaris as a dark horse to win the whole thing. But then it all starts with Rafa. You know, he didn't look too, too great at all this. And then in the match, previous match against Schwartzman, and then, you know, boom, six love in the final set, and he just cakewalked him like that. So the fact that these two are on the same side playing in the semifinals, it's going to be must-watch TV, man. Fair. I mean, I I haven't been watching much of this year's French Open, but what I'll say about this, and I've been saying for time, and anyone who disagrees with this is just flat-out dumb. Rafa's the king of clay, man. This this is his tournament. He owns this tournament. He owns this surface. He's only lost two times ever on the Djokovic. clay surface. Yeah. Djokovic beat him once. Yeah. Yes, he did. He did. One of those two losses. And just everything else, 13 French Open titles, and he's won the last four. At this point, what I'll say is this. Whether you watch tennis or you don't, just enjoy this while you're at it. This is, you're watching greatness, and I love greatness, and Rafael Nadal is tennis greatness. He is royalty, and this is his tournament. This has been his tournament for the last 15 years, so I'm I'm excited for this matchup. The fact that he's got a, he's got a chance to, to break Federer's tie. He'll, he'll have 21 if he wins this. Wow, I did not I did not realize that they're both at twenty. That is that is truly something. And obviously, Roger um, ended up withdrawing from the tournament, which sucks. Um, obviously, due to like health reasons there. But Just I mean, for the grass, yeah. Oh yeah, no that that's his tournament. And when when Wimbledon comes around, we'll talk about that. The French Open is Rafa's tournament, but when we get to Wimbledon, that's Roger Federer's tournament, and there's no doubt we'll give him some love during that too. But I mean, I I think you, you just got to enjoy this matchup. It's a it's a great matchup. It's a classic one, and we'll see if if Rafa can get number fourteen for French Open and number twenty one overall. But that should do it for this week's episode. Be any final thoughts before we wrap this thing up? Man, a lot of good stuff coming up. A lot of good sports, just in general. Man, I can't wait to watch it all. Definitely, and I you know what? Just to add off that to end this thing. I, I wanted to mention this last week and then I didn't get around to it and I'll mention it now before we wrap this up. It is truly just great seeing all these sporting events back. I mean, even last, just to think about last year during this time in June, you know, we didn't really know when each league was going to start and, and, and when all the bubbles and all that nonsense had to go on and COVID tests and blah, blah, blah. It's just so, so nice to have NBA playoffs, Stanley Cup playoffs, MLB, the With Euro Cup starting the tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. French Open, tennis tournaments, golf tournaments, all this stuff, you know, but OT, for God's sake, I, I don't even care about OTAs and NFL. But the fact of just knowing that the players are on the football field in the spring when they were doing Zoom OTAs last year just makes me happy. Like just all of this stuff is it's all just great stuff. Great to watch. And it's, it's great to have that. And exactly to your point, it's great to have fans back in the stadium. Hopefully us in Canada will be will be joining those of you in America in the stands, hopefully very soon. But either way, it's just it's it's great to have that back. And it's been great to have that back for the playoffs because that's what sports are all about, man. That's the whole experience. But that'll do it from this week's episode on Baller Island. Don't forget to give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter. And we will see y'all next week. And one last thing, the Milwaukee Bucks, for God's sakes. Giannis, please, please get so this job for a reason. Yes, please make the Brooklyn Nets fear the deer because Bilal and I, and I'm sure so many other people do Looking not want to see 
do not want to see the Brooklyn Nets hoist the Larry O'Brien trophy. So please, Giannis, if you ever get around to listening to this in the next 45 minutes before tip-off, please, let's go Milwaukee. Anyways, that'll do it for this week's episode from Baller Island, and we will see y'all next week. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Baller Island. We got a lot more content coming your way, so make sure to give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter for more sports news and analysis.